Capitol Hills, so glad that you have made the choice to join us on this Good Friday uh, service where we reflect on the meaning of the cross leading into uh, Easter weekend. Maybe it's because we've always placed such a strong emphasis on the cross as the the central act of God and the central revelation of of who God is. Uh, Maybe it's because of the emphasis we've had on the cross that our Good Friday services have always had a kind of unique anointing to them. There's just always been a unique presence there, and they've just always meant a whole lot to me. And I'm sure uh, tonight will, will be no different. We've, we've celebrated Good Friday in, in different ways. Tonight we're going to do something we've never done really before. Um, we're going to do what is sometimes called the, the uh, seven last words service, a service that's structured around the seven last words of Jesus on the cross. Uh, this is a tradition that is prevalent in the uh, black church. Uh, many black churches celebrate Good Friday this way for a number of reasons. For one thing, the, the, the uh, cross has always been, in the black community especially, um, kind of the point where they see God entering into full solidarity with the oppressed. And they're all absolutely right about this. Uh, and so God shows that God's on the side of those who are the afflicted and the oppressed in the world, the downtrodden. And they've always been able to, the, the words that Jesus says on the crosses have special meaning to them as they've been part of that oppressed community. Uh, also, the, the seven last word service, it gives cha- people uh, a, a chance to have different voices uh, speaking this. It's not just one person. They have other folks invited to share different perspectives, different reflections coming at it from different experiences. And uh, that's also something that's been cherished in the black community, to bring a diversity of voices together. And so tonight... We're going to reflect on the seven last words of Jesus uh, on, on the cross. Um, we'll read the seven uh, sayings, the seven teachings, and then a person will lead a reflection on those uh, sayings or maybe an artistic expression of those sayings, something surrounding the meaning of those things. And we're invited to come in and, and, and cherish these, to, to, to meditate on these as uh, we experience the full meaning of, of, of the cross here tonight. I, I will tell you that at the end of this service, uh, towards the end of the service, the last part of the service, we'll be sharing communion together. And we here at Open, uh, at, at Woodland Hills Church, we have open communion, which just means we don't do background checks. If, if you want to share communion with us, we invite you to share communion with us, if you understand what that means. But for that reason, so as, as we don't have to break up the service a little later on, I want to encourage you right now, we're going to take 30 seconds, and for you to go, and if you want to join us in communion, to find something that will represent the body of Christ the bread, and find something that will represent the blood of Christ, which is just a cup with some liquid in it. So let's take 30 seconds, go, go do that, and then we'll come back and start our Good Friday service. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We begin with disarming violence with forgiveness. 
This past year of the pandemic, I've been practicing Lectio Divina, which is this practice of reading scripture and trying to find myself in it. I, I read the scripture and, and sometimes I allow the spirit to say, pay attention, or doesn't this remind you of something you've experienced or wondered or processed? Lectio Divina has made scripture come alive for me. And so whenever I practice Lectio Divina, specifically when I'm practicing uh, with a scripture that I'm so comfortable with, I turn to guidance from other pastors or writers to see if they have any reflections or ideas to help me as I am spending time in the word. And so as I think about the words that Jesus just said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I think about this guided reflection from Pastor um, Reverend Sam Willemsum, uh, a Minnesota pastor who invites us into that moment right before Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he invites us to, to wander the streets uh, and wander that crowd and, and cry out, do you know what you are doing? When I place myself in the scripture with uh, Reverend Williamson's guidance to ask, do you know not what you're doing? I imagine myself being so incredibly heartbroken and frustrated and scared. I imagine myself looking around and asking them, do you know that you're crucifying the Messiah? I imagine myself running up to the chief priests and Pharisees and saying, do you know what you're doing? And they look at me and they say, yes, we know exactly what we're doing. This is Jesus, the one who upturned the temple, the one who is teaching false teachings, who is blaspheming. We know exactly what we're doing. We've been planning to do this for years. We've brought people to offer false testimonies. We know exactly what we're doing. So then in this guided reflection, I imagine myself then wandering the crowds and looking for somebody who I can relate to. Maybe they will say, no, this is wrong what we're looking at. And so I find another middle-aged woman and I notice the spittle dripping from her mouth and she's screaming, crucify him. And so I go up to her as I'm practicing Lectio Divina in my mind and I say to her, do you know what you're doing? And I imagine she would turn to me with retributive anger in her eyes and say, yes, I do know exactly what I'm doing. This man, Jesus, he's been causing trouble. This man, Jesus, is teaching false things. Everybody knows it. All the leaders are telling us what is right and what is right to, is to crucify him. Give us Barabbas. We don't want Jesus. Join me, friend, I imagine her saying to me as I am in the scripture. Let us call for his crucifixion. And then I imagine myself looking around and, and, and seeing the soldiers treating my Lord's body with such hatred, with such violence. And so I throw myself at their mercy and I say, oh my gosh, do you know what you're doing? Stop! And the soldier looks at me and says, woman, you know exactly what we're doing. We are Roman. We have perfected this art of torture. We know how to break a man's body and break his spirit. 
We know exactly how to pierce the flesh to cause the most pain as he dies a slow death. Get out of our way, woman, or you're next. We know exactly what we're doing. And as I close with that reflection, that Lectio Divina practice, I imagine myself standing around in disbelief and looking at all of the violence around me. And then I imagine myself hearing Jesus say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus modeled sacrificial love from the cross. He looked with compassion. He forgave them because he knew that even though they thought they knew exactly what they were doing, they didn't know that they were letting violence get on the inside of them. And so then in my Electio Divina practice, I allow the spirit to say, pay attention. Does this remind you of something that you processed or thought or wondered, right? And I do. I remember this moment where I sat by a lake in Georgia, utterly angry, feeling completely overwhelmed by the violence that I had been learning and experiencing that past week because I was on a trip with a bunch of people, mostly white people, who were interested in understanding race and asking the question, the very honest, sincere question, why? Why is the black community so afraid of police officers? Why are we having the discussion that is so divisive? Why is it important to be reconcilers for race? Why? 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 And as I was trying to answer this question, we were visiting monuments and museums and memorials of all of these acts of hatred and violence to people who look like me, like my father, like my brothers, like the people that I love. And I looked around at this group and I wondered, do they know the extent of this violence? Do they know what the white people in those pictures were doing, really what they were doing? And so as I sat by that Georgian lake, I recognized that I had allowed the violence that I experienced and saw that we get on the inside of me to where I was so angry at that group and the people in that group. And I was so afraid of that because I know that that's not the way of the kingdom. I know that forgiveness is the way. And later on on that, that trip, as I was still battling with the violence inside of me, I noticed one of the women in that group just slumped up against the building, crying. She had just processed something around race that she felt overwhelmed by and she was crying. And part of me was like, good, you should feel bad. But then I felt the Lord invite me to offer forgiveness, to disarm the violence in my heart with offering love and grace. And so I went and I held her and as she cried, I pat her back and I prayed for her. And I sensed the Lord say, she is struggling with her belovedness. Disarm the violence in your heart with forgiveness and embrace her and proclaim her belovedness. The cross represents one of the most traumatic moments of history. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, was subjected to a brutal execution. Yet, Jesus looked at them 
and gave them forgiveness. For they knew not truly what they were doing. They did not know that they were letting violence get on the inside of them. And so, but, so when Jesus was, was at his very lowest, when he was betrayed, he chose to forgive. And in doing so, he proclaimed belovedness for the chiefs and the Pharisees and the crowd and the soldiers. For the thieves on either side of him and for the few disciples who abandoned him. For you and for me. When I chose to disarm violence in me and hold my friend, I was proclaiming her belovedness. And this is our calling this Good Friday. To disarm the violence within ourselves with forgiveness. And now, as I I reflect on this passage, which I often do in Lectio Divina, I ask myself, what now? How do I take this into my real life? And I think about how in this moment the world is watching the trial of Derek Chauvin, a white police officer who killed a man with excessive force. And I know that that retributive anger, that need for blood and suffering can still rise within me. So I lift my hands and accept Jesus' forgiveness for I know not what I do when I harbor anger at white police officers. Jesus chose to forgive when it would have been justified for him to hate, to curse, to neglect. So Lord Jesus, King and wounded servant, have mercy on us and anoint your peacemakers to love and choose forgiveness. Teach us the way of the beloved community, a downward mobility towards grace, a disarming of violence with forgiveness. Amen. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today, out of all days, the air stained with the stench of life leaving as we hang here beneath our feet, few loved ones left grieving for him The one in between I and the other, all three of us assigned to those who would dare oppose the rule of Caesar. And then one of the loved ones left grieving calls his name, Jesus. At first I didn't believe it, not the law challenging, temple opposing, water walking, dead rising, embracer of heathens with a lot of sayings cloaked in secret, did incite Hosanna enchantments, even called the Christ, now he's here disfigured, barely recognized. Jesus, the loved one left grieving, continues to cry. Jesus, now I can't help what I'm feeling inside. Nerves beyond shot. These nails have done their job, but Jesus, I'm dying yet coming alive. Jesus, I don't understand it. Delusion, losing my mind. Jesus, no, it can't be. I thought those stories were lies. Jesus, no. Not him, I thought the revolution was mine. Jesus, the wish I could get these images from my mind, but no strength to fight Jesus if he is truly who they say he is. This could be my last time, Jesus, today. 
out of all days, I'm not ready to die yet. Jesus, so many questions occupy my mind. Breath, I can feel each escaping. Jesus, today, out of all days, there has to be a reason. Jesus, King of the Jews, the sign reads, oh my, Jesus, as crown of thorns, surely bring no peace of mind. Jesus, why don't you just save yourself? And mine, Jesus, not my words, the other from the other side as awakens an indignation inside. Hey, don't you see? We deserve to be hung, but him, he's the innocent one unjustly crucified. Jesus, now it's so clear. I can't let this moment pass by. Jesus, as he turns his head, badly beaten and bruised, yet hope unremoved from his eyes. Jesus, please remember me when you enter into your kingdom. Jesus, then he replies, Surely today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus closing his eyes after opening mine. Jesus, then all of a sudden my fear of death dies. Jesus, today out of all days, the deepest of sighs. Jesus. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. Hmm. In the final moments of our Lord in the flesh, we see Jesus directing the relationships of those closest to him his mother, uh, Mary Magdalene, uh, the Apostle John. And he's orchestrating these relationships uh, so that he can be confident that the people that he cares about will be looked after, loved, and enriched. And he does this with very formal language. He's using old Jewish family law, really. Specifically, he's using adoption language as he's giving these commands. Uh, it's called uh, a testimonial disposition. That's what he's given, which is a fancy way of saying sort of last requests. And this last request, what he's doing is he's telling his mother, he's, he's saying, you know, that Mary would be disposed to John uh, and under John's care. And John would be disposed under the motherhood of Mary. And he's using this, this, this language, this legal language, to be very explicit, uh, to be very uh, intentional. This is not arbitrary. He's, he's saying something very serious here. And there's a few things that are very fascinating about this. The first thing is, why would he dispose his mother under the care of one of his students, John? Why not go to one of his brothers, uh, like James, for instance? And the reason, I think, is because at this point, when Jesus is on the cross, his brothers don't believe that he is who he says he is. Now, when the resurrection happens, they come to believe, which is an important thing to realize. But at this point on the cross, his brothers think that he's crazy, possessed by a demon still. And so instead of looking uh, at one of his biological brothers, Jesus looks at one of his kingdom brothers for this very crucial, important role. And I think what this means is that in Jesus' mind, the bonds that we make in the kingdom are at least 
just as profound as the bonds that we have in our biological family. In fact, earlier in the gospel, uh, when his family thought that Jesus was crazy and they came to get him, to get him professional help, and his disciples said, hey, your family's here for you, Jesus asked this question, well, who is my family? Who is my mother? Who is my brother? Who is my sister? And he answers, he says, this is who my family is. My mother, my brother, my sister, my father are those who hear the Lord's words and who then put them in action, who live them out. That's who my family is. And so Jesus is saying that the bonds that we make in the kingdom, those are greater than our biological bonds. And I think that there's so many important things that we could take away from this. I'm going to just look at three. Uh, The first thing is, if you are adopted— If you are adopted, do not let self-doubt go unchecked in your heart. If you have any thoughts or reflections that, hey, maybe since I'm an adopted kid, maybe I'm not as legitimate as a biological kid, you have to fight against all of that. Because what Jesus is saying here is that our biological bonds are not nearly as strong as our agape love bonds. And so an adoptive relationship can be just as profound as a biological relationship. In fact, really, if you think about it, Jesus is the mother of the Blessed Virgin. Joseph didn't really play a biological part in Jesus. And so really, Joseph adopted Jesus. And so if you're adopted, you're in good company. And so never let that uh, allow you to view yourself as somehow less than. The second thing is that uh, in the kingdom of God, what Jesus is saying here in his last words is that we always have mothers and brothers and sisters and fathers in the kingdom of God. Uh, you know, raising kids is hard. Even if, even if you have two parents and siblings and you're financially well off and things kind of are going the way that your family wants them to go, it's still hard to raise a kid and we need other people. But even more so if you're in a single parent household or if you're in a household that just overflows with dysfunction. Uh, it's, it's hard to, to get all of your needs met that parents are supposed to meet. But what Jesus is saying here is that in the kingdom, the kingdom exists all around us with open arms uh, to accept us, to encourage us, to enrich us, and to maybe even heal what's lacking in our own family lives and to heal the trauma from our own families. And that's an opportunity, that's a blessing that the kingdom of God provides for us. And the third point is related to that. Uh, When Jesus disposes us, uh, he's disposing us to be family for the world. Not only are we allowed to uh, receive family from the kingdom of God, but he's also calling us to step up and be family to the world. And you know, for a time, you're probably like me. Like, what is this kingdom of God thing? What is the Bible? Who is Jesus? And there's this time where we have to inquire, we have to gather information, and we have to form beliefs, and we test those beliefs. And it's a very kind of mental, cognitive sort of thing. But at some point, Jesus is calling us to move from this cognitive realm into community, to move from the cognitive into relationship. Uh, don't get stuck in that cognitive realm, and it's, it's so easy to do. It's so easy uh, to, to pursue academic stuff, uh, to procrastinate relationship, because relationship is hard. And maybe you might think, well, if I understood the kingdom of God enough, if I understood the Bible, if I understood just enough, well then, uh, you know, relationship would be easy. It's not. 
There is no magic nugget of wisdom that's going to make relationship easy. Relationship is going to be hard. And, uh, but it's fulfilling. And it fulfills us like nothing else will. And it uh, shapes us like nothing else will. And so uh, God is calling us to, uh, to receive family from the kingdom, but also to be family. And I just pray for you uh, that, that you can be open to receiving family from the kingdom of God and to get those family needs met uh, and to get the, all of the heart stuff that family is supposed to meet. If, if you're lacking in that, uh, the kingdom of God is there for you. But also I encourage you to be open to being family to the world because the world needs family. The world needs those strong bonds. And uh, God is calling us to be that to the world and I pray this for you in Jesus name my God my God why have thou forsaken me Jesus this lonesome valley he had to walk it by himself oh nobody else could walk it for him he had to walk it by himself we must walk this lonesome valley we have to walk it by ourselves have to walk it by ourselves we must clasp our hands together we have to walked 
this lonesome valley he had to walk it by himself oh nobody else could walk it for him he had to walk it by himself I thirst Hours after suffering, Jesus was aware of his body. He thirsted and he acknowledged it. He thirsted and he asked for relief. He thirsted. This moves me every time that Jesus fully experienced the cross and let those around him into his suffering. So where are you today, my friend? What's going on in your body? What is happening in your mind? Where are you suffering and how do you feel alone? You are not alone. Jesus, in his most significant moment of trauma, sees, knows what you're going through. And because Jesus experienced that trauma, he sees you. He understands. He knows what it's like. So Jesus put words to his pain, emotional, spiritual, and physical. And so I want to invite you to take a moment before we practice a spiritual discipline called Visio Divina and ask you to take a moment and acknowledge what's going on in your body. Maybe put some words to it. Are you experiencing emotional, spiritual, or physical pain? I want to encourage you to take a few deep breaths. We're going to do something called Visio Divina. It's a form of, um, it's a spiritual practice where you look at a piece of art and you invite God to speak to you as you look at that image. You look at it and you see if you can find guidance or encouragement, connection, hope, in it. So as we do Lectio Divina, I'm going to just ask you a few questions while you silently reflect on the image that you see on the screen. Some of it may speak to you. Some of it may confuse you. Maybe there's parts of it that you'll ignore. That's completely okay. Usually at the end of Visio Divina, we settle in on a word or a phrase that we take away from our time. So I'm going to invite you to take a big, deep breath in and let it out. And just be present to the spirit, to your body, to your mind as you gaze upon this image. This image might speak to you with specific words or phrases, maybe a song. Something will come to you as you're looking at that image. Pay attention to that. Write that down. 
What are you feeling while you're looking at this image? If you had to describe what you're looking at to someone else, what would you say? If you were in that image, if you were sitting at the cross, if your ears heard Jesus gasp, I thirst, where would you be? How would you respond? Does a name for God or a characteristic of God become clear for you? Silently gaze upon this image. And when you are ready, say that word as a prayer, as an invitation to those in the room around you, as a commitment, out of gratitude and joy and acknowledging that Jesus sees you. He thirsts. So Jesus, thank you that you see us and we are not alone. Amen. It is finished. the tree.
from the grave Were you there when he rose up from the grave Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble from the grave. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. This uh, word commend, peritothemi in Greek, uh, it has the connotation of to entrust someone with something else, to commit to someone. In the ultimate case, it has to do with trusting someone with your life. When oh, I was a kid, we used to play, play this game, do you trust me? I'm sure some of you did too. Where you had to fall backwards and trust that whoever was your friend was going to catch you. So how much do you trust that friend? Uh, well, that's the kind of connotation that Peritothemi has. I free fall into your arms. I fall back. I, I'm trusting you. It's kind of appropriate that Jesus would say this at the, as his last breath. His very last breath, he cries out, into your hands I commend my spirit. I'm free falling into your arms. Because in one sense, that was the theme of his whole life. Jesus, as the one perfect sinless human being on the planet... He modeled what it was to depend on God, to lean on God, to trust in God. He always taught that I, I, I only teach what I see the Father teaching. I only do what I see the Father doing. He modeled what it was to be utterly dependent upon God. But what makes this statement here at the end of his life so poignant, so powerful, is the circumstances under which he's saying this. He's saying, I'm free falling into your arms. I'm trusting you, Abba Father. But he's saying this as the one who on the cross is bearing the sin of the entire world. And he's saying this as the one who on the cross, as the one who became our sin, he, he's, he's experiencing on the inside the, the God-forsakenness that is intrinsic to all sin. That's what's happening on the cross. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In some sense, God entered into solidarity with our sin and experiences that from the inside. In some real sense, God enters into solidarity with our God-forsakenness, our curse, our judgment, and experiences that on the inside. And see, here's the thing is that any conscious agent, any sentient being, you will experience pain to the degree that you are experiencing something that's not natural. So if someone is holding your breath, preventing you from breathing, in 20 seconds you begin to panic because it's not natural to go without air for 20 seconds. If they keep it up for 40 seconds, you're going to be in a real panic because every bone in your body just wants to get some air. It's so natural for you to breathe, and yet if you can't breathe, it's unnatural, and that's what pain is. That's what terror is. 
So here God, the all-holy God, becomes our sin. What could be more unnatural for God than to become our sin? And the perfectly united God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, through all eternity never experienced any separation. They're perfect, united in love, pouring out for one another. Now on the cross, out of love for us, they experience something like separation. Nothing could be more unnatural to the Father, Son, and Spirit than to experience this. And yet out of love for us, an unsurpassable, unfathomable, incomprehensible, beautiful love for us, God was willing to go to this extreme, the farthest extreme that God could have possibly have gone. I don't think we can imagine the nightmare, the terror that Jesus would undergo as the all-holy Son of God now bearing the sin of the world and the curse of the world. This is why he was, his blood corpuscles were popping while he's in the garden. He's sweating drops of blood. He was anticipating the horror that awaited him. And he asked, is there any other way, Father, for, for, for this cup to pass from me? And there wasn't any other way. For this salvation to be accomplished, Jesus had to go to the other extreme of love. And see, it's the, the beauty of that love that breaks the back of the kingdom of darkness and that sets us free. So Jesus, this is why he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he's on the inside of the nightmare, the nightmare of our hell that we created. He's on the inside of that, and on the inside of that, he's feeling that God-forsakenness. And, and the cry, it, it really bespeaks the authenticity of the experience that he's going through. He's feeling forsaken by God so that we will never have to be ever feeling forsaken by God. You see, that wasn't his last word, though. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he's experiencing the nightmare that sin brings about in this cosmos. But his final word was, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And we see what he's saying there is this. Though he is in this state of God alienation, and though he's experiencing abandonment, my God, he's still going to free fall into God's arms. However, however confused his brain-wracked or pain-wracked brain must have been, in the depth of his heart, he's going to trust that even if he doesn't see God being there, God is there. He made it, it, it feels like the Father's turned against him, but he's still going to free fall into his arms. It feels like he's been abandoned in hell, but he's still going to free fall into the arms of God because at the end of the day, at the core of his being, he trusts that even though he experiences God's forsakenness, he knows that his father will never forsake him. Yeah, he's been delivered over because this is part of the plan of salvation. Delivered over to wicked humans working under wicked powers to do what they wanted to accomplish. But the father would never would withdraw his love. No, in fact, this was all an expression of the love that God is. So what it's saying to us is two things. One is this. Maybe you are or have been going through a Good Friday experience. And by that I mean, on Good Friday, the, the, the world turns dark. Uh, nowhere do the powers, and nowhere does evil, and nowhere does pain manifest itself more exquisitely than on Good Friday. Just heading into Easter. And sometimes you're, we find ourselves in a Good Friday experience. You just heard the worst medical news in the world. Your world got rocked. Your dream fell apart. Your marriage is falling on the rocks. You made mistakes that you can't believe yourself have, 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 have carried that out. You've hurt people that you couldn't believe that you would ever hurt. Maybe the world as you know it's coming to an end. Or maybe you just for some other odd reason feel totally alone, totally God forsaken. Like God's just not there. He's turned his back on you. And what I want you to know is this. Wherever you are spiritually, however low that is, however dark it seems, you've got to know that the pioneer and author of your faith, Jesus Christ, he went there ahead of you. 
Can't experience what you're going through. You're not alone, as Rashida said just a little bit ago. He's there on the inside of the hell, inside, on the inside of the guilt, on the inside of the shame, whatever it is you're going through. The cross is all about God experiencing human existence and all of its ugliness from the inside. God's on the inside of that pain, on the inside of that world. Let him on the inside. Acknowledge him there. Even if you can't see me, even if it seems like the opposite is true. And then he gives us, as the author and pioneer of our faith, he gives us the model that we're to emulate. When we are in that dark place, that confused place, that doubting place, that raging place, wherever it may be, whatever else you're experiencing, whatever else you think, can you in the core of your being just trust that however things may appear, God is there. You can't go so low that you can't look down and he's going to be one step lower than you. He's there to catch you. Will you let go of control and free fall into the loving arms of God? We so often try to control our fate, control all the variables, and, and, and you got to do what you got to do to relieve whatever problems you're going through. That's understandable, but at some point, can we just say, Abba, into your hands, I entrust my spirit. I entrust you with my life. I'm going to free fall into your arms, and I'm going to trust that however dark it may seem on Good Friday, you are there in all of your love. And that means it's just a matter of time before Easter morning comes. Resurrection comes, light breaks into the darkness, and you discover God has turned it all around. Abba Father, we live in a world that is a Good Friday world, oppressed by evil, oppressed by powers, oppressed by darkness. And sometimes it encroaches in on us, and we experience that. But Lord, we thank you that you are always there. We thank you that you will never leave us or forsake us. We thank you, God, that you freely decided to enter into our pain, enter into our hell, enter into our sin, and enter into our shame in order to redeem us from that all, to free us, to be in relationship with you. Thank you, Lord, for being a God who we cannot run away from. You are always there in all of your love. Amen. So now we come to the table. In light of all that we have seen as we walked with Jesus and listened to Jesus and gazed upon Jesus in his darkest hour, we come to the table. We come to this table because we have been invited to be seen, to be loved, to be forgiven. We come to this table because we don't want to forget. Never forget what Jesus went through. How Jesus went first in modeling the sacrificial love of the kingdom of God. It is true that Sunday is coming. Resurrection Day is coming. But in this moment, on this Good Friday, we take the bread and we take the cup. And we remember our King Jesus. So the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread. And when he had given it, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He broke it in half. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he passed it around to the disciples, even 
the ones who he knew would reject him, who would deny him, he broke bread with them. And they took and they ate. So take and eat. Because this is the body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat. And then Jesus, he took the cup and he held it up as they were still chewing and as they still had the yeasty taste of bread in their mouths. He held the cup up and he said, this is the cup of my new covenant. Do this and as often as you drink, remember me. And so then he took a drink and he passed it to his friends. And as they took sips, they remembered him. So take and drink, my friends. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. This is our table, kingdom people. You are welcomed, you belong, and you're beloved. Amen.
So we have spent time at the cross. And now I, as we leave this place, I want to invite you to think back over the words of Jesus, the sayings of Jesus that we saw across the Gospels from the cross. And I want to encourage you as you move into tomorrow, which traditionally is called Holy Saturday, it's a day of silence and reflection. Meditate on that phrase. Which one of the seven resonated with you? Which one of the seven made you curious? Which one of the seven made you fall more in love with Jesus? This Holy Saturday tomorrow, reflect on it. It is true, Sunday is coming, but in this moment we are incredibly grateful for the love of Jesus. So go in peace, my friends. Amen.